I grew up as the eldest of four children in Cambridge, and my two little brothers shot past six foot when they hit their early teens, and they could always be found going as fast as they can on a cycle or in a boat. So as you can imagine, their appetites were large, and the topic of food was never very far away in our family home. And at one point, we realized that the boys had been eating four or five portions of cereal each, every day. So my dad took it upon himself to set a price limit per kilogram on the cereal, which narrowed their choices to Tesco own brown muesli. In the meantime, my sister and I hid away our luxury cereal in unsuspecting cupboards to hide it from them. And so I'm very familiar with the feeling of food not looking like it will stretch quite far enough for everybody involved. But this famous miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, is not just a story of Jesus' power to provide food. When we come across a miracle in the Bible, we must look beyond the immediately obvious and look into what is being communicated about the character of God. And what we can take firstly from this passage is that God is our daily sustainer and our daily provider. This miracle points back to the Old Testament when the Israelites were in the wilderness for years and years and every single day God provided manna for them. He was their daily provider. It might feel really different now in Clapham, um, in 21st century, we buy our own food, we earn our own money, and we make our own choices. But the reality is that regardless of our financial status or earthly status, every pound we make, every bite we eat, every breath we take, all comes from God. Everything we have could disappear tomorrow, and it is God who sustains us. But there is an even deeper meaning to this story. It is not just a story that points back to the Israelites and the Old Testament. It also points forward to when Jesus became our bread on the cross. It might not be immediately obvious in Matthew's account here, but in John's account of the story, Jesus says this immediately after the miracle. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus did not come simply to give bread, but to be bread. He doesn't just perform this miracle to show us that our material well-being is in his hands. Ultimately, this miracle shows us that Jesus himself is all we need. Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this death on the cross was the means by which he provided what all of us really need this morning a solution to our sins, and an eternal relationship with the Father. And as we take communion, it is a symbolic reminder for us that Jesus is our nourishing, satisfying provision, bringing consistent and unshakable hope for sinners like me and like you. Secondly, in the same way that Jesus' miracles don't just exist as one-off interesting events, this passage reminds us of the biblical truth that our physical surroundings and material experiences are all made through Jesus and for Jesus. Colossians 1.16 says this, 
For through Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through Jesus and for Jesus. So just like the relief and the enjoyment of food when we are ravenously hungry, how much more should we recognize our emptiness without Jesus? How much more should we dream for and believe for the presence of Jesus to fill the gaps in our lives? John Piper says this, every honorable pleasure that we have in the created world is designed by God to give us a faint taste of heaven and make us hunger for Christ. Every partial satisfaction in this life points to the perfect satisfaction in Jesus. In this miracle, this feast provided from nothing, it's a microcosm of the banquet that God has prepared for us in heaven. It shows us that we can glimpse his glory here on earth and it will fill us up and nourish our souls. So how does this miracle banquet finish? If I had to guess the end, I would probably go for the perfectionist option where we wind up with exactly the right amount of portions for every man, woman, and child involved. But verse 20 comes. It says, they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Unlike my family dinner table growing up, there were leftovers. And the leftovers are significant, 12 baskets for 12 disciples. And this is the mathematics of a God who loves to provide in abundance for us. And I love this, perhaps because I can see so much of my own wandering heart in the disciples at the beginning of this passage. So doubtful about how they would feed that hungry crowd. And yet Jesus provides an answer to their anxieties. And he meets their needs with total abundance. By providing exactly 12 baskets packed to the brim with leftovers, we know that when we spend our life for others, Jesus will provide for us. We cannot outgive Jesus. And as we sit here this morning, we might not be worried about physical hunger, but we might see an element of ourselves and the disciples too. Doubting that Jesus will come through and deliver in our lives. Maybe you feel that your energy has been depleted or the vision for your life is drifting. Maybe you feel held back by health or by financial worries or by strains on relationships. I want to remind you this morning that Jesus cares deeply about your situation right now, about the details of your life and any worries and anxieties you have. And just as he cared for the disciples and met their needs with provision, he will provide for you too. But Jesus came to this world not just to provide for our physical needs, but for our greatest need, our need for a savior, our need for him. Jesus could have provided food for the crowd right from the beginning. But he let them feel their hunger and remember their need. 
He could have spared the disciples the panic of realizing they couldn't fix the situation on their own, but he let them remember their dependence on him. Jesus actually could have orchestrated this situation to avoid ever having to do this miracle in the first place. But he chose to use a little boy and his lunchbox to play the central part in communicating God's glory here on earth. And just like he used that boy's small but faith-filled offering, he will use whatever ounce of faith you come with in your heart this morning to live a life of service for Jesus. I've been at HTC for a year now, and I have been overwhelmed by the kindness shown to me and really struck by the generosity of spirit that characterizes this church. I believe that God is using HTC to further his kingdom, and I believe he intends to use every single one of us here to weave into this story and build his kingdom, using whatever we can offer, our equivalent of two small fish and five small loaves. And in return, I believe that we will know the abundance of God's provision. I believe that we'll know the wide and limitless boundaries of his grace. And I believe that we'll have the privilege of building God's kingdom here on earth.